The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning, I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. U.S. service sector activity rising to a six-month high in August. It was boosted by a pickup in new orders and hiring. We heard from ISM Services PMI Chair Anthony Nieves. I think this is actually uh, better than what we've seen historically. We see usually a bit of waning in the summer months as people are on vacation. There's not as much hiring until September, which is typically the pivotal month uh, going into the last quarter. And what we see now is uh, this is even better than what we've seen uh, pre-pandemic levels uh, at that August uh, threshold. Today's services reading put the pressure on U.S. stocks. The S&P 500 closing below 4,500. The Nasdaq 100 falling about 1%. We go to the Fed next and the latest Beige Book survey on the economy. It shows modest growth. Now, in terms of the labor market, well, the survey indicates a bit of slowing, not too surprising, in July and August. And at the same time, many businesses saying they expect wage growth to ease broadly in the near term. So what does this mean for the Fed's path? Well, former St. Louis Fed Bank President Jim Bullard says the inflation fight isn't over yet. It's probably wise from a risk management perspective and probably necessary based on the data that we've gotten that they keep that extra rate hike in there. That is Jim Bullard. Meantime, the head of the Boston Fed, Susan Collins, was saying more tightening may be needed and policymakers must be patient as they assess the data. Now, the Fed next gathers September 19th and the 20th. Brian? Well, authorities in China and Japan are stepping up efforts to defend their currencies against a surging U.S. dollar. We heard from Bloomberg's Eddie Vanderwalt. We've seen the dollar rally, something like 4.5% from the middle of July, right? And the dollar strength really coming back. That will reverberate across markets. It usually means that people are looking for some sort of haven. I think at the moment, though, uh, what they, the, the driving force behind the narrative is that, that we, we're starting to see the risk of inflation coming back, you know, with oil prices and so on. And that's feeding through into Asian currencies in particular. And it's forced the Bank of Japan to talk up the risks of, you know, the, the potential for intervention. And it's, it's, it's forced um, in, in China, uh, you know, a lower fixing than people had expected. Bloomberg's Eddie Vanderwalt, the yen has slumped by nearly 8% versus the greenback since the middle of July. And the yuan is down more than 6% since May, trading here for the offshore at 732.04. And, Doug, that's getting pretty close to the monthly low of about 734. Now, PBOC doesn't say too much, but you know that they're feeling it a bit. Most definitely. We can move to uh, the Chinese trade data next. Exports and imports probably both fell in the month of August as China experienced a lot more in the way of pressure on growth. Bloomberg's Joanne Wong has more from Hong Kong. 
Economists say exports likely fell 9.9% year-on-year in the month. That would be a narrower decline than the 14.5% drop in July. Analysts say it's largely due to a lower base of comparison from last year when exports started to slow visibly. Meanwhile, a steeper decline in imports is expected because of softening domestic demand. And that's likely being squeezed by the housing slump. Overall, across-the-board weakness in trade would underline the need for broader and more forceful policy support. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Radio. Well, Apple suffered its worst stock decline in a month, dropping 3.6% in this latest session. It followed a report that the Chinese government is barring staff from using the company's iPhones at work. We get more here from Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow. The Wall Street Journal reporting that some central agencies in China have issued directives via chat rooms and in meetings that uh, they should replace their mobile device in the event it is a foreign device, not just an an Apple iPhone, but a a non-domestic device. Um, I would say, remember that Bloomberg reported in May of last year that Beijing offered a two-year deadline or term limit for state corporations and indeed government agencies to swap out their uh, foreign brand personal computers for a domestic brand. So this is not necessarily an unprecedented move. That's Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow. Apple's iPhones are among China's best sellers and are common in both the government and private sector. And if you missed it, as we mentioned, Apple shares down more than three and a half percent in New York. Well, stateside, a U.S. lawmaker is saying uh, Chinese chipmaker SMIC may have violated sanctions by supplying components to Huawei. The story from Bloomberg's Baniao in Hong Kong. U.S. Congressman Michael McCall says SMIC warrants investigation. This news comes after SMIC and Huawei recently built a 7-nanometer processor to power Huawei's latest smartphone. Existing rules require any company that intends to supply Huawei with U.S. technology to get approval from Washington. It's unclear whether SMIC has a U.S. license to supply Huawei. In Hong Kong, I'm Bonnie Al, Bloomberg Radio. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner and Rashad Salama, who will be joining us in a few moments. So, Doug, in that services data, the prices paid component moving up uh, a couple of points there. So that, that wasn't too pleasing to investors. If you put that together with the higher oil price, all of a sudden you've got these new concerns now about whether this will nudge the Fed off of hold. Uh, so that's something we can talk about with Steve Matthews coming up in a few moments, Bloomberg's economics reporter. The other thing you have to consider is whether or not these higher rates are going to add more stress to the financial system. And there was an interesting piece from Bloomberg Intelligence indicating that U.S. regional banks may need to raise significant amount of additional debt to comply with new regulatory requirements. We're talking about $63 billion worth. This would be new holding company debt on the part of 18 regional lenders. And this extra capital might not be enough, in the words of BI, to prevent future failures. Yeah, it's very interesting. And uh, it also brings me back to that story you mentioned yesterday uh, about the uh, reduction in the Fed's balance sheet by more than a trillion dollars. Mm. That's also something we can talk to uh, to Steve about. A couple of other stories that we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, Morgan Stanley is now returning to its bearish view on emerging markets, particularly EM currencies. And of course, it's citing China. Another story, sources say Great Wall Motor is looking to sell its stake in uh, in Svolt Energy Technologies. So 
that's a, a battery maker, and its IPO might be delayed. And that's part of the broader story, Doug, that China is slowing IPOs to try to help its markets. And you pointed out on our production call earlier, Brian, that Oak Tree Capital Management co-founder Howard Marks was expecting more companies to default on their debt. That's interesting as well. Yeah, absolutely. Time now for global news. ASEAN leaders have expressed disappointment over the absence of President Joe Biden at the summit. Let's get to Ed Baxter in San Francisco in the 960 Newsroom. Ed. Yeah, that officially will appear in the statement released after the summit. Meanwhile, the U.S. has sent Vice President Kamala Harris saying economic growth in the region is paramount. You have made it a priority for ASEAN to deliver concrete results with a particular emphasis on economic growth. And you have been a strong partner as we work to restore Myanmar's path to democracy. And Chinese Premier Li Chang highlighted China's strong ties with Southeast Asia during the meeting, saying ASEAN has challenged by, isn't challenged by increasingly complicated geopolitical landscape. ASEAN also saw some talk about the differences between China and Japan on the release of the treated wastewater from Fukushima. Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida saying the utmost attention of safety is being paid, and Chinese President uh, Lee saying that Japan needs to consult more closely with neighbors regarding safety and feelings in the region. It looks very much as if U.S. President Joe Biden is cleared ahead to the G20 in India tomorrow. Uh, White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre here with the latest COVID test. The president tested negative for COVID-19 this morning. Following negative tests on Monday night and also yesterday, he is not experiencing any symptoms, which, of course, is a good thing. Uh, First Lady Jill continues to recover from COVID in their home in Delaware. A group of voters in Colorado is suing to block Donald Trump from state ballots in 2024 because of his efforts to overturn the results of the election in 2020. They say it is a constitutional issue. A federal judge has ruled that Donald Trump is liable, is liable for defaming E. Jean Carroll while he was president. Uh, what this means is that uh, damages will be decided only in the jury trial in January. Meanwhile, in Georgia, Judge McAfee has denied a request to separate co-defendants Kenneth Chesbro and Sidney Powell and order them to uh, stand trial together. So based on what's been presented today, I, I, I'm not finding the severance uh, from Mr. Chesbro or Powell is necessary to achieve a fair determination of the guilt or innocence for either defendant in this case. So the date set October 23rd. Justice Department is planning to file charges against Hunter Biden. Bloomberg's Nancy Lyons has the update. An indictment of Hunter Biden is expected by the end of the month. That's according to documents filed in a Delaware court by special counsel David Weiss. Biden, the son of President Biden, had agreed in principle to plead guilty to federal tax charges and enter a pretrial diversion agreement related to a gun charge. But that plea deal collapsed back in July. Prosecutors have not specified what charges they intend to file against the president's son. Nancy Lyons, Bloomberg Radio. All right. Thank you, Nancy. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? 
And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, normally hosted out of Hong Kong and New York, but today Los Angeles and San Francisco with uh, our Doug Krisner there and Rashad Salamat in Hong Kong joining us now on the program. And our guest is Steve Matthews, Bloomberg economics reporter. Steve, oh, wise one, I know that there are thousands of tiles in this uh, Fed mosaic, but all of a sudden now, I mean, with even with the complexity, it seems like with the prices paid component in the services data, with the oil price ticking up, that it looks like the Fed pause may be threatened. Um, is, is that the case? Well, I, I, the pause is not, definitely not threatened for September. I think they have clearly signaled that they're on pause this month. I think the real question is what happens in November. And there's still a lot of time to go. So, yes, you're going to get some higher inflation figures with higher oil prices, uh, you know, and there there uh, is considerable worry, as you quoted Jim Bullard, of the San, formerly of the St. Louis Fed earlier, saying, you know, they might pencil in one more rate hike. And that seems to be very uh, plausible. I mean, they, they had one more hike in when they did the uh, – the last set of forecasts in June, and they may want to keep that option open for November. And, and the rate, uh, uh, rate markets have suggested that there's a, a higher possibility of a hike in, in November than there was even, you know, in the last few days because you've just been getting really strong data, including today's ISM services uh, data, which showed, you know, the services sector is looking pretty strong. Yeah, but Steve, you know, with every bit of data, you get something which contradicts it. And uh, to a certain extent, the Fed, Fed Beige Book did that. Yeah, you you are absolutely correct. I mean, the Beige Book is kind of a puzzle because it's like, you know, if you look at economic surprise indexes, which which measure is the economic data, the real data coming in, you know, higher or lower than expectations, it's coming in strongly better than expectations. And, you know, you have the Atlanta Fed's uh, GDP tracker suggesting that you could get 5% or more growth. You know, it's early in the quarter, so it could could easily and almost certainly come down. But, you know, it's consistent with a very strong quarter. And then the base book comes out, which is basically just anecdotal reports from uh, the 12 districts uh, of the Fed banks, and it's pretty downbeat. It's, you know, the growth is modest, and and consumers are under pressure, and, you know, wages are headed lower. So uh, all of the, the – if it was just the beige book, it would be very consistent with a dovish outcome and no more hikes. But the real data is coming in stronger. So if we see stronger news, is good news now bad news for for markets, both the stock and bond markets? I'm not sure it's that clear because I think what in the end, what they're really targeting is inflation. There is a belief among the Fed leadership that it's going to take below trend growth 
to get inflation back to their 2% target. However, you know, that's just a tactic. If they, if inflation comes down on its own and, you know, there are a lot of economists who believe that inflation was artificially lifted by COVID and the responses to COVID, uh, and, and all the fiscal spending, which is all kind of winding down, uh, you know, there, there's entirely a possibility that maybe they don't need to go higher. Maybe they just keep at a high level for longer. So I, I think there's a clear debate. And, and when you listen to the Fed officials, you know, on the one hand, you have people like Austin Goolsby and uh, Chicago and Rafael Bostic of Atlanta who are pretty clearly saying, yeah, let's not go so fast. We don't necessarily yeah. need to do more. And then yeah. there's an, an entire another element. Yeah, yeah, there is there is that other element, but I was surprised to see yesterday, and we played the comments from Christopher Waller quite a bit, that he's crossed over to uh, perhaps pausing and assessing. Steve, thank you for joining us. Steve Matthews, Bloomberg Economics reporter. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.